Welcome to the Pennsylvania In Focus podcast, powered by the Center Square. I'm Alan Wooten, Managing Editor at the Center Square Newswire Service. Pennsylvania In Focus is a production of America's Talking Network. You can find all of the Center Square's great podcasts at americastalking.com. We are recording on Thursday, July 14th. I am joined today by Dan McCaleb, the Executive Editor of the Center Square, and Anthony Hidden, our Pennsylvania reporter. Dan, how are you today? Doing well. Alan, how are you? I'm doing very well. A little bit hot and muggy where I'm at. Anthony, how about you? How are you doing today? Not bad. Also hot, but uh, pretty good overall. <laughs> Sounds very good. Well, let's get right into it. Leading off, let's go back to the day after we recorded a week ago. Uh, Pennsylvania's state budget was finally agreed on eight days after the deadline, but they did get it done. It's a package that the conservatives like. Uh, It's got a 5% decrease in corporate net income tax over 10 years. Uh, The GOP also says it's uh, half a billion dollars less than Democratic Governor Tom Wolf's original plan. Uh, Another conservative group puts it at more like 300 million. Anthony, what are people saying about putting this budget uh, going forward against so much federal money that's been funneled into the state in the last two years through COVID-19 acts. Yeah, so uh, we're looking at a budget here that came out to about $45.2 billion, um, which is which is a significant boost um, in a variety of areas. Um, one of the sticking points here was um, state support for public schools. Um, traditionally in Pennsylvania, m- most of the funding for schools is coming from um, the local local areas rather than from the state level. Um, so that that was one of the things that kind of dragged out these budgeting processes. Um, also, Pennsylvania's um, almost annual inability to get the budget done early or on time, for that matter. Um, that's one of the sticking points here. Um, when we're looking at it, though, uh, I believe tax revenues for last fiscal year was about forty around forty two billion. So it's still spending a few billion um, over the actual tax revenues, which is where uh, the federal um, federal support, um, pandemic-related relief, those sorts of funds are coming in. Um, so, you know, there, there's there, there's some funkiness going on here in terms of when you're categorizing spending, either this upcoming year or the last fiscal year, so that's where you're getting some of the divide of saying, you know, this is a lower budget, but in reality, it's an increase in spending um, above what some claims are. Uh, but I think the key here is, uh, you know, spending's going up, uh, almost across the board here. You didn't see many um, many areas of the budget that got less spending or held spending uh, flat. Uh, the problem with this is, given that we're spending more than the revenue coming in, um, some of this one-time federal COVID relief money is going to uh, areas that are not one-off spending bits. Um, you know, looking at education, um, public public schooling, that sort of thing. Um, you're getting a lot more coming in from federal money and that's not necessarily the uh the best fiscal discipline because you're creating some long-term um, expectations or some long-term um, budget implications but you're not necessarily having permanent funding uh so you yeah. know th- this is this is one of those budgets where you know there's a compromise both sides are at least relatively happy here but as far as uh looking toward the future it, it's sort of a toss-up of how uh fiscally responsible this will turn out to have been now, while while um, Republicans and Democratic lawmakers are they're both patting themselves on the back over the budget. Let's let's be clear too. Governor Wolf has yet to sign 
uh, the budget. So it is not official until Governor Wolf um, signs the budget. But I assume he's expected to do so. Anthony. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I figured. Um, so while Republicans and Democratic lawmakers are patting themselves on the back for the most part over the budget, there is a, a group in um, Pennsylvania, uh, the Commonwealth Foundation, a free market um, think tank um, that is critical of the budget that was uh, approved, saying essentially um, spending over the long term or this, yeah, the, the spending that's contained in this, uh, this recently approved budget is not sustainable. Um, over the top, uh, over the long term, you talked to someone from the Commonwealth Foundation about their concerns. Anthony, why don't you just share a little bit more of those? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, um, the Commonwealth Foundation is concerned about um, you know a, a bump in the spending, which they calculated at about eleven percent increase uh, when you look at you know when you avoid the kind of budget playing around. Um, they're concerned that that's not really sustainable in the long run because uh, you know government action and spending keeps growing, but the actual tax revenues are not keeping up. Um, you know, the, the previous uh, fiscal year, revenues were up above estimates, um, but that was coming from a more conservative estimate because, uh, you know, essentially the, the big boost was a corporate uh, income tax uh, came in much way, way higher than expected, as did uh, personal income taxes. So though those were these sorts of one-off things. Um, that was not necessarily foreseen, um, and that was kind of a, a cautious approach to making sure, you know, there, there's a, there's enough money in the bank, and the uh, the state government was not spending, then finding out that they're short four or five billion. Um, okay. So yeah, I think that's that's a big thing here. Of, you know, it, it's not clear that we're going to have um, the, these extra boosts um, in two, three, four years. And, and the current state of the economy is is a concern. Um, as well with inflation as high as it is yes. with, with, uh, with um, the overall U S economy uh, shrinking in the first quarter. Um, a, a lot of folks are waiting to see uh, uh, the, the, the data from the second quarter. We're now, you know, we're now a couple of weeks into the third quarter. So we should be getting um, um, that data, uh, the GDP gross domestic product, which essentially um, um, is, is, um, an indicator of where the economy is. If we find out in the next week or two um, that GDP growth uh, or G- yeah, GDP experienced negative growth in the second quarter, that's really fundamentally the de- definition of a re- recession. And if we do, if we are in a recession or we go into a recession going forward, um, uh, there's concerns about spending and tax revenue overall. Yeah, and it's it's definitely something that uh, you know, Pennsylvania is not unique to that. I mean, it's it's uh, it's across the country where where that is a concern. Um, so, good stuff there. Let's move on. Uh, talk about jails in Pennsylvania from another story that Anthony reported on this week, um, and he talked about uh, inmates dealing with drug addiction. Uh, a report from the Pennsylvania Institutional Law Project explains how different the uh, county jails can be. It can actually matter for a substance abuse victim in terms of getting treatment and potentially getting better. Uh, Dan and Anthony, uh, what are we hearing on this battle that that spends taxpayer money, either for people being cycled in and out of prison or to have more treatment options to keep them out of prison? Well, if you don't mind, Anthony, I'll jump in here first. I'll admit I was a little surprised by... um, um, by this report, um, substance abuse is not a new thing, um, right? And 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 for decades, 
um, we've known um, that, that folks, a large percent of, percentage of folks, not everybody uh, certainly, um, um, who commit crimes and, and, and are jailed, whether it be drug-related crimes or you know other, other types of crimes, have some addiction uh, issues. So you would think that by now our criminal justice system um, uh, uh, would have things in effect where they can treat um, uh, these substance abuse issues um, uh, that, that folks they're ha- the, that they're housing in their jails or their prisons um, um, have, because the one thing you don't you don't want the, the entire criminal justice system is it's expensive to ma- maintain on its own, um, and if you don't treat those root causes uh, of crime, there an individual gets out and they still have a drug addiction or something like that the potential for them to commit more crimes is more and they'll just be returned to the system. So it seems like me, it makes sense to treat that root cause as early as you can and save the taxpayer money later. But Anthony, give us your thoughts on this. Yeah. So this is sort of an interesting split um, looking at Pennsylvania where how the, uh, the state level department of corrections is run versus the County jails. Um, So this report came out from the Pennsylvania institutional law project, which is generally a, a legal aid organization focuses that um, helps and deals with inmates um, in terms of health care, um, make sure their rights are, aren't violated, and just kind of watching how um, how county jails are run, partially because when someone ge- enters a criminal justice system, county jails generally where they're starting from first. Um, so they, they looked into essentially how the county jails um, handle, uh, you know, uh, inmates who have a drug addiction or struggle with some sort of um, o- opioid disorder. Um, th- this is very relevant Pennsylvania because Pennsylvania, I believe, is number three nationally on um, the number of uh, overdose deaths in the country. Last year, we had roughly 5,400 um, Pennsylvanians die from a drug overdose. Um, so when you're looking at this, the, uh, the state-level Department of Corrections, which runs uh, 24 different prisons, they're basically dealing with about 40,000 inmates or so. Um, the county level jails, which operate independently, um, the Department of Corrections does not have oversight over them. Um, each county jail sets its own policies, things of this nature. Um, they have about 25,000 inmates. Um, this during COVID, you know, this has kind of gone, uh, at first gone down because dealing with public health and trying to release um, people who are not a public threat to avoid, you know, the spread of COVID. Um, so, you know, th- those numbers change, but generally, you know, county jails have a significant chunk of um, the uh, the incarcerated population here. And when we're looking at how county jails deal with um, drug addiction, um, it's very it's very scattered shot and it's not necessarily um, it, it hasn't been on the radar. Um, when we're looking at this, uh, the report referred to medications for opioid use disorder, which generally something like uh, methadone or uh, uh, bu- I'm going to butcher this, so apologies, but uh, buprenof- buprenorphine. Um, which You're braver is, than I am. I would have never yeah. even tried it. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure I'll get an email about that. <laughs> um, but essentially, uh, when you're looking at the uh, 62 uh, county-level facilities here, only three of them use some sort of um, medication to deal with opioid use disorder. They're using other opioids to treat addiction. Um a lot of this is sort of coming from um, what the report authors see as stigma and people uh, viewing it as less effective than it actually is. Um, when you look at essentially uh, someone who has a drug addiction, uh, more than 70% of Pennsylvania jails 
limit those inmates to using um, non non opioid based um, treatments. Um, a lot of people, uh, even if they already have a prescription for um, dealing with an opioid use disorder with some other opioid like methadone, um, they can't even continue that treatment. Um, only 18 jails allow someone to continue treatment for that. Um, so th 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 this is a problem, one, just due to um, the health risk of if someone's in addiction and dealing with it, then cutting, getting cut off from that, you can have some negative effects from withdrawal or otherwise. Um, another issue here is that when these inmates are released, because county jails also hold people before they're convicted of anything. So, you know, if, if you're dealing with a drug addiction and then you're locked up, but you don't get the treatment for that, you're at a much, much higher risk of an overdose. Um, and that can push out costs onto um, local communities, onto healthcare systems, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, th this is not, you know, this is not a niche concern here. The general population, you know, it's a minority of percentage have a, uh, have an addiction, but when you're looking at the prison population nationally, there's estimates estimates that 65% of the prison population has some sort of a uh, substance use disorder. Um, so they, you know, there, there's a lot of health concerns here. There's some legal concerns here of uh, inmates having the right to this healthcare access. Um, but there's also an economic argument here of if we're not dealing with this when people are in jail, uh, you know, you're dealing with antisocial behavior in the future of either recommitting crimes or you're dealing with uh, bigger healthcare costs once um, these inmates are released. Right. And, and, and states across the country, including Pennsylvania, you know, have participated in uh, significant lawsuits against these pharmaceutical companies that were marketing mm -hmm. these opioids and these settlements, settlement dollars have started coming in and it's not, it's not a little amount of money. We're talking about, tens and hundreds of millions of dollars that states have received, you would think, I would think, I guess, let me just keep it to me. I, you know, I would think that a good use of some of that, some of those dollars would be giving those, that money, uh, a percentage of that money to these county jails. Um, so they can treat um, uh, inmates uh, <clears throat> who have these addictions. Any thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think in Pennsylvania, there's there's some discussions of that. I don't think there's been um, an exact plan worked out for how they're going to spend this op opioid settlement money. I know that some of it's going to the state. Other um, counties are getting a certain cut of it. Uh, but I don't want to throw out percentages here just because I'm not 100% sure on them. Um, I, I will say, though, um, you know, at least at the state level within um, prisons um, overseen by the Department of Corrections, uh, there there's a lot of this activity. Um the Department of Corrections, when they were testifying during um, budget appropriations hearings, um, you know, they pointed out that they're the one of the largest state agencies that offer um, any sort of drug addiction treatment. Um, since 2014, I think they've launched um, medication assisted treatment for inmates who have an addiction. Um, so, you know, th there does seem to be a growing uh, recognition that this is important. But when it's, uh, you know, when it's 67 different counties across Pennsylvania, um, you know, all these different policies um, that can differ. You're not necessarily getting um, you're not necessarily getting everyone doing the same thing or everyone addressing the same problem. Uh, so that's kind of an issue across the Commonwealth to deal with. Yeah. And I, I would wonder if the if the if it if it works well to let the counties have some autonomy. In other words, uh, my county might not be like your county. Um, could be closer to an urban area, could be very remote, that kind of thing. Uh, there could be things that 
they see would work or didn't work in other ones. So I, I just wonder if I, you know, the state state level, they're all the same. Uh, mm -hmm. so I, I just, I just wonder if that county level autonomy is good or bad. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, and I'm sure there would be arguments on both sides. You mm -hmm. guys have a thought? Yeah. I, 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 there needs to be some level of autonomy. I think when it comes to these, these county, um, running these county jails, um, yeah. um but for, for something as a massive problem such as this, whether the state requires them uh, um, to act um, in a single way, I, you know, I don't know. It's that's that's a very good, relevant question, Alan. But I would think they'd want to uh, yeah. address this issue, so they're not seeing the same people uh, return um, uh, to their to their to their local jails. Treat if you if you don't treat um, the source of an issue, um, you're going to continue to have that issue over and over again. So I would think it would be. Uh, it would just be common sense to even if they just get together and come up with their own plan together. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Something obviously needs to happen. Here. And I would think it would also help uh, to be able to, um, if if that settlement money does funnel down, to disperse that on a um, whatever they deem to be a fair and equal way of doing that. In other words, uh, if everybody's kind of linked together and, and they're 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 not all in scattered things uh, trying to do stuff, because some some might get money and they say, well, you don't need that because you don't do these things. So I, I would think that would, it, it could help in that regard too, maybe um, mm -hmm. when 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 and if that happens. So agreed. Yeah. The, uh, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, uh, Anthony, you've written about this topic several times. Uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with that, if you will, share briefly what it is. And then uh, what's, what's the injunction from the Commonwealth Court that came out last Friday going to mean going forward for this project? Yeah, so uh, if you're sick of hearing about the uh, Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, also called Reggie, um, it's not going away anytime soon. Um, essentially, Reggie is a multi-state compact that um, states join and then start uh, essentially adding a carbon tax on um, energy producers of a certain size. So it's primarily falling on power plants powered by um, coal, natural gas, that sort of thing. Um, the, the, the state that joins a compact essentially um, sets an allowance of pollution and then... Uh, the uh, energy producers have to buy, uh, basically pay for these uh, offsets or allowances. And then over, over time, the number of those allowances are lowered down as a way to um, essentially put a price on um, you know, fossil fuels or pollution coming from them and trying to transition to something uh, non-carbon based or at least um, cleaner, improved production, that sort of thing. Um, this is generally this generally a compact that's joined in the Northeast, um, but Pennsylvania um, would be the first state to join that, say, uh, large uh, en energy uh, net energy exporter. Um, generally, you see states like New York, Rhode Island, and Massachusetts, um, where you know their economies are not really powered by um, energy production. Whereas Pennsylvania is, aside from Texas, the biggest uh, producer of natural gas. So they, this this would cause a lot, um, you know. Energy prices going up, it's caused a lot of controversy um, in the state house. Um, and that's not going away anytime soon. Uh, essentially, and then, and 
I'm sorry. And, and it was the, the Pennsylvania's Democratic governor, Tom Wolf, who yeah. uh, entered uh, uh, Pennsylvania into um, Reggie, Reggie, despite the objections from the Republican-controlled legislature and the Republicans in the legislature, um, say this is it, it, only the legislature can pass a new tax, right? Mm-hmm. And yes. um, because Reggie contains this carbon tax, um, they're saying the governor can't go it alone. That's not he doesn't have that authority. The legislature needs to do it. So there's this political conflict. Um, between the two. Of course, it is a midterm election year, too. Uh, Governor uh, Wolf cannot run for re-election. Um, uh, so this is going to be a drawn-out, essentially a drawn-out battle, regardless of what the courts say. Yes. So uh, essentially, Reggie was pushed through um, from the governor. He vetoed any uh, bill coming out from the General Assembly trying to stop it. Um, so it was supposed to go, in, it go into effect on July 1st. Um, last week, a uh, Commonwealth court issued a preliminary injunction uh, basically putting a pause on it until some of the merits of one of the lawsuits um, has been adjudicated and gone through. Um, you know, it's, it's not the injunction is not a merit on the case or the arguments, uh, basically just pressing pause on it and waiting for that lawsuit to uh, work through. Um, so until that lawsuit is resolved, um, you know, it, it doesn't look like Reggie will immediately take effect, um, which th- this, this kind of causes some headaches and delays. Um, there were essentially the uh, first auctions for these um, pollution allowances was supposed to happen in September, and then the second would be in December. Um, you know, and until the uh, the lawsuit is settled, uh, you know th- that that could delay any of those auctions from happening. Um, though, even even when we move past, uh, even when we move past the injunction and this uh, lawsuit, it, it's not going to be the final ruling here. Um, this could depend on the the gubernatorial election, where if the Republicans win, um, they will move to exit from Reggie. But even with that, you know, wor- working that through the system, uh, you can't just do it with a snap of the fingers. There's some regulations, and there's a path to withdraw in the first place. So that'll be drawn out. Um, if the Democrats win, um, th- this would be interesting because while Tom Wolf is a big supporter of joining Reggie, um, Josh Shapiro, who's a Democratic candidate has been much more vague on it. Um, he's not necessarily endorsing it. He's not saying that he's uh, going to leave it. It's not really clear what's going to happen. Um, but even if the Democrats win and the Reggie uh, plan goes through, um, there there's always seems to be an appeal. Um, basically, the Pennsylvania State Supreme Court is going to be the one to decide whether um, the state can join through executive action rather than going through through the legislature. So uh, there, there's going to be future stories. There's going to be future controversies here. And one of the and one of the concerns, um, or one of the concerns uh, from Republicans and the energy companies is that if you add this carbon tax to energy producers, everybody's energy costs um, could go up. And of course, with what we've been experiencing over the past year, with high gas prices, high home heating prices during, during the winter, cooling prices um, uh, now that it's you know, hot in the summertime or whatever, uh, would, would this drive costs up even further? And that's something you have to pay attention to as mm-hmm. well. Yes, even looking into Reggie, the uh, the original estimates were, you know, calculating about a, like a $250 million cost overall. Um, but that was done when um, natural gas prices were three times lower than they are now. And so it's, you know, even aside from inflation, the rising cost of natural gas um, is really driving up the cost of implementing this in the first place. 
So there, there's there's a lot of issues playing into Reggie, um, and we're we're not we're not getting a resolution anytime soon. But it's something to keep your eye on. Very good, Dan Anthony. Thank you for all your insights today. That is all the time that we have. Uh, we encourage everyone to follow Anthony's work at thecentersquare.com. Among the other topics he wrote about this week were affordable housing and broadband, and that includes rural. So we hope you will check that out. This has been the Pennsylvania Focus Podcast, part of the America's Talking Network. Find all of the Center Square's podcasts at americastalking.com. For Dan McCaleb and Anthony Hennon, I'm Alan Wooten, and we'll talk to you next week.